As the revered Irish bard's thin Lizzy once wrote, guess who just got back today? Them wild-eyed boys that had been away. On this episode of the Lollygaggers podcast, both Lollygaggers offer their first impressions of Amazon Video's new hit, The Boys. For challenges, Jeff longs for the sweet release of death in Day of the Dead Bloodline, while Justin honors Rutger Hauer's split second. Welcome to episode 61 of the Lollygaggers podcast, a show about all sorts of different things, from comics to games, movies to TV. I'm one of your hosts, Jeff. I'm the other one, Justin. How's it going, man? My voice probably sounds a lot worse than this. I listened to the podcast. I was like, holy moly. Yeah. It sounds so good. Yeah, like when you yeah, when you live record, it's it's a little bit better than trying to do it through like Discord or something. But you know, we make do. We do what we can. In addition to playing TFT, Justin and I, we spent the past week or so watching uh The Boys on Amazon uh Prime Video. Uh you can uh you can access all, I think it was eight episodes. Uh, right now and so we're going to talk about that a little bit today um justin you read the you read the comic right i got into like so if you were to get it on comiXology the first omnibus is about as far right. as i got through me too which is about i'd say it's about 20 comics something like that um because mm. omnibus you know you, your, your trades are like uh, five to ten but omnibuses are big thick ones yeah so i probably got through the first 20 so yeah that's about as far as i got so yeah, I got through it too. Like, I'll be interested, like, as we get into the conversation here, uh, like to kind of talk and compare what we think. But let me just give you the basics on the show if you're unfamiliar. So, The Boys 2019 TV series, it's up on Amazon now. Uh, it is a superhero slash kind of dark comedy thriller type show it's it's very funny but it's it's also dark humor it's uh it's developed by eric kripke uh who is in in my opinion best known for supernatural so if you're familiar with the supernatural series that was on cw all these years eric kripke is kind of the head of that uh it stars carl urban uh, who's excellent and i think underrated he was aomer in uh, the lord of the rings uh, and several other shows there was this uh, great um almost human i think it was called on fox several years back where he played like this little which got axed too early way too early I that, that show. show was so good and um, i was so sad when they got uh, got canceled it also has uh jack quaid uh so carl urban plays uh billy butcher uh, and Jack Quaid plays Huey or Hugh, um, we Huey from the comics, if you're familiar. There's uh, several other people, uh, Anthony Starr, Aaron Moriarty. Uh, there's Dominique McElliott, who uh, I noticed and I'm like, hey, I know her. And it took me like two episodes before I realized that uh, she was in Hell on Wheels because in Hell on, Hell on Wheel, Wheels, she was um, she had like blonde hair, like like and she wore up and it was curly. And so oh. I didn't recognize her. Yeah. So Dominique McElliott plays Queen Maeve, who's one of the seven, the super, the main, the, the big seven superheroes. Uh, but she's like got these long, this long red hair, so I didn't even recognize her because they're driving me nuts. Um, but there's plenty of other people. Um, Elizabeth Shue, I think, uh, is is pretty creepy, but also really good in this. And there's there's several others. Um, but the premise of the show is that we live in a world. Uh, it's set in a universe where there's superheroes, right? There's superpowers all over the place. Uh, but even though publicly we tend to recognize superheroes as being good and doing the right thing and helping stop crime, um, privately there's sort of a dark side to it. There's an there's an under there's a seedy underbelly to the concept of superheroes to the point where many of them are not taking their responsibilities seriously. Many of them are doing bad things, or many of them are just kind of abusing their powers in some fashion. 
Um, others are just outright criminal. There's not like super villains yet, though that's kind of coming uh, in the te- television show. It's a little bit more, the idea of super villains is a little bit more uh, prominent, I think, in the comics than it is in the, in the, in the show. But we'll talk a little bit more of that in a little bit. But it's also been, um, corp- it's also like a kind of a corporation. So there is a big seven group. They're called the seven. And that's like the seven like top of the line superhero is the one that everyone in America loves. It's like your Justice League allegory, pretty much. Exactly. Like you have like the Superman comparison, because uh, that's Homelander. You've got the Aquaman comparison. You've got the Deep. You know, you've got uh, a Wonder Woman comparison with Queen Maeve. So it's like everything. It's it's definitely there. Like you can definitely see the Justice League. Um, but they are also they're also controlled by the by Vault International, which is a corporation that has essentially sell sold their services to various cities like they assign specific uh superheroes to cities to like guard and then they also um have this major uh support system that tracks crime statistics and then they create not like they send superheroes out to stop the crime but they already kind of know about it and so they almost create like these public relations opportunities from uh from stopping crime it's all kind of creepy, uh, but everything's monetized in some fashion. And so it's not just about stopping crime, but it's also about like curating and all those types of things. Now, so that's like the background. Now, the, the premise of the show and I will, you know, spoiler alert, and it's really happens within the first five minutes of the show. But the main character, I would say, is probably Jack Quaid's Huey uh, or Hugh. And he suffers a loss. I won't say specifically who, I, I suppose. Uh, so it's not to spoil that awesome moment in the very beginning. Uh, but he, he suffers a loss at the very beginning of the show. And upon doing so is recruited by Carl Urban's Billy Butcher to join the titular, uh, the boys as they aim to take down the superheroes or take them down a peg or to just make sure that the ones that are bad are no longer in, you know, in power. Is that, is that accurate? Would you, does that make sense? In the comic book, it's like that. Right. This, I think it's, it's a very different take. It's, um, which yeah, I, I enjoy. It's less organized because in the comic they're 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 CIA backed, and in the the in the television sh- or yeah, I think CIA back in the TV show they're trying to get CIA backing, and that becomes a storyline. Um, but yeah, in the in the it's in, almost like at a certain point, it's almost like it's the prequel to the comic book. Yeah, you know very I mean? very much. It, it feels kind of like that. Yeah. Like there's a lot of there, I mean there's a lot of similar threads, a lot of similar similar names and stories and stuff like that, but they're really like a ragtag group of semi organized. Um, I don't want to say criminals because they're really not. Because MM uh, Mother's Milk, he's he you know he works for um, was it he works for Child Protective Services. So, yeah, he's like social services. Yeah, he's guy, a social service guy, and he's like legitimate. Frenchie is criminal. Um, Billy Butcher, Billy the Butcher seems somewhat criminal. The female, you know, so like. It's kind of like a ragtag thrown together group that has some history. Okay, so Billy the Butcher, um, or Billy Butcher. I don't know. Is it Billy the Butcher or is it just Billy Butcher? Or is it just Butcher? Billy Billy Butcher. Okay, I'm just going Butcher. I'm just going Butcher. It's but he's got such a beautiful accent. He does. He does Butcher really easily. He says the c word with such a reverence that uh, I, I really admire it. Um, so like they're. Like again, they're a ragtag group that are trying to take the superheroes down a peg, trying to make sure. And like Butcher specifically wants Homelander. Like he's really he's really focused on Homelander and that story and why that is uh, plays out over the course of the series. Um, and so he's 
on the one hand, you might argue that he's taking advantage of Huey's um, of Huey's grief over his loss. But on the other hand, I, I think you can say that Butcher might see something of himself in Hugh and is trying to like get him, uh, you know, get him some sort of satisfaction or payback for what happened to him because the loss he suffers was at the hands of the superheroes, right? And including one of the bit one of the big seven. So, so what 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 ends up happening is the show really follows the the handful of people uh, that are trying to to make sure that superheroes don't get away with everything that they get away with. And in order to do so, they're kind of breaking the law. Um, they kidnap, uh, they actually kidnap and capture uh, one of the seven. Um, and many of the first couple episodes is them interrogating and torturing and trying to figure out how to kill one. Uh, and then many uh, and then the, the back half of the season is sort of like dealing with a lot of the aftermath of that disappearance of that superhero. There's all sorts of other storylines that are going on, including Starlight. Starlight is the new newest member of the the seven. Um, and her name is Annie. Um, I can't remember the character's last name, but her name is Annie. And she is like a Midwestern sweetheart girl, very stereotypical, good person. Um, and she is thrust into the spotlight and she is so excited to get this gig and right off the bat uh, she learns that this gig is not what she thought it was and the the superheroes that she has idolized all her life are not the good people uh, that she thinks they are and so another major storyline is watching her come to terms with her role in the spotlight she's a major character Uh, her and Hugh have overlapping storylines because they run into each other just through happenstance and both of them are kind of disillusioned. Both of them are kind of working through trauma. And then through that, they develop a friendship. So, I mean, I think that's it. Is there anything I'm missing in terms of the major storylines? I mean, there's like a, basically there's a, there's a big conspiracy in the back of it all too, which kind of develops over time, but they, compound V I think. Yeah. Is that yeah. Compound yeah. V, which is used differently in the comics, which I was, which oh, is why it really feels like it really feels like a, a prequel to what happened in the comics, or maybe they go into this type of stuff, like what happened beforehand, how they all met each other type of stuff. Maybe that did happen. They're just, they're just, you know, telling the story out of sequence from what they did in the comic books. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it really does feel that way. That's like a prequel to what's going on. Right. So, yeah. So I guess, I mean, I guess that's the main, the main plot points. So let's talk about like our general review or impressions of it. Cause we both watched all eight episodes, right? You, you finished it, right? I got through the first six. I wasn't able to finish last. Two. Okay, so you're, you're oh. through six. So I'll I'll try not yeah. to spoil the end because there are some differences between how this the show actually ends or the progress of the the show and what actually goes down in the comics. Um, so what are your initial impressions so far, like through six episodes? So a few things that I wrote is love Carl Urban. Yeah, he's so good, um, man. God, that guy's so good. I, I'm a huge fan of his, um, especially as um, what's it, Scourge and Thor. He did a great job. Yeah. Um, I liked him uh, as a uh, Judge Dredd too. He was so kind. Oh of, yeah, I, so I want to say Judge Dredd. I also wrote all characters are very entertaining, from Carl Urban to Mother's Milk. All the you know all the bad guys like I guess bad guys are soups. They're they're all just so very well done. I was very surprised by some of the acting by some of these people. Um, personally, my next note was Elizabeth Shue. That was my next one. Yeah, it's um, so good to see her. I love Elizabeth Shue. Uh, God, she's yeah, and she is. So Elizabeth Shue plays um, like the corporate. She's a real head. piece of garbage. She plays she Madeline Stillwell, who is one of the upper echelon, um, uh, high, highest level uh, 
people within within the Vought Corporation. And her one of her main roles is to is to kind of be the primary handler for Homelander, who's played by Anthony Starr. And and it's very their their relationship is very creepy uh, because it it because Homelander is 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 got this mother has got a mother issue and Elizabeth, Elizabeth Shue's he's character, got some complexes yeah he's he got he's got complexes. a he's got a complex for for moms and she is a is she actually just had a kid uh, and so she's raising a kid as a, you know I I think she's meant to be like mid to late forties like that's how I think Stillwell's cast because. She has this new kid and she's like an elder, you know, she's like an older mother and that creates a little bit of a ripple in their relationship. But um, Stillwell definitely plays on a lot of Homelander's um, complex issues with his with his with mothers. Um, And so, like, yeah, their relationship is so strange, but she is fantastic in this, like in a creepy every time she's on the screen. Like, I think she's an awful person. Like, like, that's how great she is. Like, I just like it makes my skin crawl sometimes between all like the corporate uh, the corporate kowtowing that she does, but also like the way that she manipulates Homelander, who's not a good person, by the way. Homelander is not like a good person or anything, but like she's really playing with fire because homelander is basically superman right he's super powerful he's got he is a god yes he is is. yeah he's like they they they, at a certain point they they bring in the notion of um of him being like chosen by god and most of the superheroes being chosen by god like that that whole that that's a huge storyline in here and yeah like it's just really interesting to see how careful she has to be with him um, because she knows she has power over him, but at the same time, she's just a regular human. And like at any point, she's home- a piece of tissue paper. Yeah. At like, any point, Homelander could just like <laughs> just destroy her. Right. And so like, there's a really interesting dynamic uh, that goes on in their scenes. I think the guy who plays Homelander does a phenomenal job Yeah, of, of, do- of, of playing a real sociopath, like a real, the way, like a few things I like that he does, like he does these things where it's like, he turns on and off his face. You know what I mean? Yeah, where he like he puts on faces for certain scenarios because that's what they have to do. But the guy does such a good job of it. There, there was one episode where they're at the uh, they're at his home house. I'm saying this with quotes. Yeah, and like he's he's talking, and then the minute the cameras are off, he just turns into a different person. Yeah, they're I doing, thought that was fantastic. It was really interesting because they're doing like a little documentary uh, of the 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 seven, and so they're going to Homelander's home, like where he was a kid, and it's not his real home. Everything's been scripted right it's been corporately washed so that he grew up as a kid who played t-ball in little league and his mom brought him there and he go into his yeah he's like the american dream yeah he's he's the cliche american american boy hero right and that's none of that's true and he's going through doing the act and at one point somebody leaves like a blanket on um on the bed and he flips out right and then he has to be talked down and like stillwell's gotta come out and like do her magic so that he'll do it again but yeah you're right like the so like he i'm not sure if it's sociopathic or psychopathic but he is certainly he scares the crap out of me like when you look at him and he's just like he plays the role of superhero so well and he knows when to turn it on it's and in, plus he's politician because there's like this whole other storyline that's going on where stillwell and vaught are trying to get the superheroes in the military because for so long, they've really only been in law enforcement and people have been reticent about allowing them into the military. Um, a lot of uh, weapons manufacturers like Lockheed and everything like that are resistant to this. And so uh, Congress is resistant to it then as a result. Um, but, well, because it would make them it would make. Yeah, it would make like, them. Were these guys useless. Like, 
Lockheed Martin everything uh, innate. They'd be pointless. Yeah, they're basically. And then on top of that, that's how the politicians lose their contingents to you know their constituents right. in order to get reelected. Right. And so like that's that's a big problem. Which I love a lot about the show. One of the things I said is like the first episode goes along with a book, um, and then like because like first episode is almost shot for shot the first book in the comic book, like how. What happens to Huey and all that stuff? It's similar. I mean, there's a little um, bit of difference to like the, yeah. the trauma, and then like it's also set in New York, whereas the the comic in the beginning is set in Scots. It's like Scotland. a carnival, yeah. Well, it was in Scot. It was in uh, uh, Scotland for uh, for Huey, and then he eventually gets pulled over to the to, to New York. So it's sort of set in New York, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, like the events are are pretty accurate, yeah. And the the comic book's just crass. The whole point of the comic book is just to be gross for gross sake it's yeah. almost like gar- garbage pail kids um garth ennis has that type of way to, of doing stuff I mean, he did preacher he's done a whole bunch of stuff he did he does a great run of punisher but garth ennis is kind of messed up in the head with the stuff that he writes <laughs> and uh the comic books that he writes this, this particular comic book is just to be gross for gross sake you know and some things are interesting but then most things are just like oh look at this gross thing i'm doing yeah this doesn't really do that it has a lot more to say than just like Hey, look at the these superheroes are bad, and let's be gross to them. Because like, there's a lot of rough stuff in the comic books, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, this one has like Me Too movements. It has you know, uh, weaponize you know, uh, has to do with like Congress and weaponizing uh, America to be basically the ruler of the world and stuff like that. There's just a lot of stuff that's in this that I enjoy a lot that the comic book had nothing at all of. Yeah. Because it's it's just better thought out. Yeah, if I mean, if we're if we're gonna get into the conversation of comparisons, like I I definitely like the TV show miles better than I like the comic. Like the comic is fine, like it's okay. It leans into it leans into the irreverence uh, in a way that I think comes across as very childish at times. Like it, it really does. Like to me, it it has like the I'm writing for fifteen year old boys type of feel to it. Um, but beneath some of that that's not some sort of like juvenile behavior and like it, it's, it actually has some, in, it raises interesting questions, right? It really does raise the the basic question of like why, like in all of our literature or, you know, our comic book literature for so long, we've looked at superheroes as like, they're always choosing the right path. Right. But like, what if they didn't, you know, what if they were psych, you know, psychopathic? What if they were sociopathic? What if they had all sorts of these different uh, personality disorders that are some way being exacerbated by their superhero powers? And then, if we think about it in a corporate commercial world, like, like which we're in, we're, we're capitalistic society. Of course, someone's going to try to take advantage of it. Right. And like that stuff's there in the comics. But I don't think the those kind of mature and more interesting socio, you know, socioeconomic themes are really at play in the comic the way they are here. And like just the sheer notion of curating and how we're using superheroes like celebrities to just pull the wool over the eyes of the American populace and pretty yeah, much the world. It's fascinating in the, in the, in the there's show. LGBT stuff. There's using celebrity and power to uh, influence religious uh, beliefs yeah. and stuff like that. So yeah. there's, there's lots of stuff and it all, it, it seems like a lot, but it all really works. Like, and Maeve in the comic book is kind of meh, but I love her character in this, in this uh, show. She, she shows some like real, like, you know, remorse and, and, you know, 
guilt for the things that are going on. I think she's, I think she's a, a great character. She's, she's Overall, a little, she's more rounded in the, in the yeah. actual, you know, like in, in the comic, she's very flat. She's very one note. And this one, she's she just a has some jaded, yeah. she's like a jaded worker. That's like, this is how it goes here, honey. Like yeah. that's how she is in the comic book. But, but in this one, she's got like the, depth. Yeah. Between the writing and between McElliot's uh, acting, like I think that it's really actually made her into an incredibly sympathetic character and somebody that you actually want to root for in a weird way. Right. Um, because it's hard to find characters to root for because you have the good guys, which are the boys, so to speak, but they're also doing a lot of awful things. And then you have the bad guys, which are the superheroes. And some of them are actually decent people like Annie's character of, uh, of Starlight. She's, uh, she's a good person. And even Maeve, who is, who has been indoctrinated into the way of things and has just like you said is disgruntled and has seen some stuff like she's still a good person underneath and and this new introduction of of somebody who she looks at as maybe that was me once this like i you know, naive you know idealistic young person who just wants to do good is now in here and that like sparks something in her i think it's almost interesting where like like uh annie comes in and says i you were my idol and it's almost to the point where she's becoming inspired by annie herself because right. annie's like bravery of what she's doing of like i'm not going to go by these things and yeah. if, if you're just impressing me just just fire me i don't care but i it'll hurt you more than if you just keep me on type of stuff what, so like i like that a lot oh no for sure i totally i totally agree what do you think of the deep i find him a really strange character um sure i think he's a little under underutilized at times much like his actual role in the seven you know where it's like he's just he's just the guy that cleans up beaches and stuff like that but you kind of feel for him a little bit because he's a dumbass it's so strange because he is he does terrible things but you're like oh the guy he just doesn't he just does an absolutely (sighs) awful unforgivable thing at the very beginning of the show like he does and again i'm not going to say what it is because like i think a lot of those moments you kind of have to see and you don't and if you don't know if you don't know what it is going in i certainly don't want to spoil it for you but he does an awful thing and it's unforgivable it's absolutely unforgivable Yet you take that moment away and he's a really fascinating character because he's very it's very he's very much comic relief because he's like a dumbass. Like he really is just a he's just like a a, a mimbo. Right. He just he talks to animals. He tries to free a dolphin, which goes horribly wrong. And it's hilarious. Great. It's so great. Holy crap. It's like and then the lobster. Have you have you gone to the lobster part yet? I don't think that's that might be seven or eight. There's another moment where he tries to see a lobster. It's just. Oh man! But at the but, same like, time, does, it's awful. he does so many things, things where it's like he, he he starts off like, "Oh, this guy's a piece of garbage," but then for the rest of the entire first season, he just keeps getting crapped on and crapped on and crapped on because of his bad mistakes. Yeah, so you deservedly like so, though, you know. Yeah, yeah, but you almost like even though what he did is is awful, you almost feel like he's he's earning his penance for what he did wrong. But it's weird because you you kind of feel for him, but then he's also a piece of garbage. It's kind of how they all are. Like, yeah. Maeve let things happen, right? So you feel for enabler, her and her, yeah, and yeah, yeah. But she's an enabler to a psychopath, right? Yeah, right. uh, Huey, who you feel for what happened to him and him getting at, but he does some rough stuff. Yeah, you know, uh, they all do to- terrible things, like mother's milk. He obviously has a past, right? And you know, and it's like you think he's a really cool guy, but like if he's friends with Billy. He's not cool because right. Billy is a piece of garbage, yet still you're like, I kind of understand what he's doing. It's like, you know, when we talk about how our favorite villains are those who you can kind of believe, it's right. like everybody in this show is a villain, 
And you kind of like, yeah, I kind of get it. Yeah, even like, Homelander, who is yeah. sociopathic, like there's a certain point when like you kind of, I'm not saying like you can forgive him, but you can track. He's it, a product know? of his environment yeah. of what he was raised. Like you can track in. It's just it like, for sure. It's like you you get it. It's not that you condone it. Oh, of course not. It's yeah. just that you 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 get it, and that's what makes it that much more, uh, first off, believable, yeah. and also uh, able to get behind because you know he's still. I'm just waiting for him to tear someone in half on a whim. You know, yeah. it's just crazy. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's not one to really lose his temper. That's the fascinating thing is that in the show, he doesn't. You're just waiting for it. I know. You're it's like, it's like the, the drop of a off. hat. And it's so scary because it's one thing like when you're around a friend who's got a bad temper and you're waiting for them to drop, you know, the drop. I mean, I'm, I have a temper. Uh, but like, like, but at the same time, they're not, they can't destroy the world and kill like a vast amount of people. In no one second, would you know? be able to stop yeah, them. No, no one. one. There's not a single person in the entire like soup community that could deal with him at all. It's crazy. So I really, so as, as we're kind of look, going through some of the characters, I really like Frenchie and the female. That storyline is really heartwarming. That's actually. a fun little storyline. Because yeah. also in the comic books, they're very one-dimensional. It's like yeah. Frenchie's kind of totally. weird. And, and Kamiko is kind of, you know, a murder machine. Right. But and they like, really change the way it is. Frenchie in the comics doesn't feel like a com- like a Frenchman. He feels like some sort of stereotypical cartoonish caricature of a Frenchman. But I think the guy who actually plays... He's like a person frog yeah tomer capon i'm not sure how to pronounce his name uh but he's the guy who plays frenchie i think he does a fabulous job i really like frenchie i think frenchie actually might be my favorite character on the show and he is a criminal he's a weapons he's sort of like a, a weapons dealer in a way like he gets people weapons when you need them and so that's how butcher recruits him in the beginning and again they've had they've had history they've they've done different jobs together they constantly refer to their old boss mallory and something horrible that befell uh, Mallory's grandkids. Uh, we don't really know about it. It's all just sort of talked around. It's really just to establish the fact that many of these characters have history with one another. But at a certain point, they come across the female, which is that's that's how she's referred to in the comic. But she actually has a name, Kamiko, and she's a soup, and that's what they call superheroes. It's like kind of their short colloquialism for superhero. And she's a soup, and but she's one who's been being experimented upon and doing awful things with, and so he's so like tender and generous with her, and it's just so great how they found ways in the television show, even with side characters, of making them feel like they have depth in a way that they didn't in the comic, that they felt very one note in the comic, but here they actually have a little bit more to it. And so when you're looking for like redeeming relationships within the show, like there's Hugh and there's Annie, there's a little bit of that, but that even goes a little awry. Uh, and then you have Frenchie and you have the female. And I think to some degree, like I kind of just root for them. Like I want like good things to happen. I kind of root for them just because like there's a, there's a humanism to them that I think is, is lost in the comic, you know? Plus not to mention this is the third movie in, or third TV show or movie in three weeks where I've seen Haley Joel Osment play a character. Yeah. So that's, it's a big deal for me as well, I guess. So yeah, he comes in later as Mesmer for a couple of runs. There's some really funny nods here and there because he's at like a comic con convention basically. And he's signing because he used to be part of a television show. Lots of Billy Zane and Billy Zane's Billy Zane. all over the place, which, Hey, I'm, I'm in favor of cause a uh, pop claw was in a, sh- was in a movie or a show with Billy Zane at one point too. So Billy Zane just gets dropped all over the place, which is great. Um, so interesting storylines for sure. I definitely think that they've, they've done a great job of taking the broad strokes of the comic, 
But then finding ways to enhance the characters, make the storylines, I think, a little bit more relevant to today. Because the comic did come out like, what, like 10 years ago or something like that, seven years ago. Uh, So I think it's a little bit more up to date. Um, I think they've made the characters into people as opposed to into caricatures, which is what I think many of them, including Butcher. Butcher is ridiculous uh, in the in the comic. The other thing I really like is that one of the main. So this is this is a slight spoiler, but not a huge spoiler. Um, One of the one of the main things that there's a compound, um, there's like a drug. And if you take it uh, in the comics, you can you can get like superhero powers temporarily. And so the boys take it so that they can like get in fights with superheroes. That's not a thing in the TV show. And I think it's great because I think when I, when I saw that happen in the comics, I'm like, this is, doesn't this just contradict everything you're doing? Like the whole notion of now we have superpowers. And so we're going to beat the crap out of them. Like, okay. Like, I just feel like it's super contradictory and it's not very interesting. The notion that in the TV show, it's a bunch of regular humans for the most part, that are trying to hold back the onslaught or hold back the wave of of super superhero uh, superhero dominance is is fascinating. Like how do how do people without powers try to deal with this? And I like that, and I really hope they don't go the route that the comics are going, which is well, let's just make them into superheroes too. Like that's just silly. Like I like I like where we're at now. It, again, humanizes it, and I think there's a grittiness to it that is also really. Um, uh, I really, really interesting. Like to me, like it just the the how like how they struggle, like how the boys really have to struggle. They're not yet being funded by the CIA. They're moving around in safe houses. They're trying to lay low. Like I like that. I like that kind of gritty underdog uh, storyline. And when you start giving them superpowers, then some of that underdog story goes away. And so I like that we're staying away from that. I think it would be good for like a moment, right? Like say they you know in a situation where maybe butcher gets powers to fight somebody maybe one time, but like, and I think if they do it right, it could play well. Cause you know, of his extreme prejudice against soups and now he himself has become one, maybe like there's a good storyline can come out of it, but to like to give them access to it all the time, yeah. like you said, would be a little cheap and would be a little bit like meh, yeah. you know, kind of like a heroes last episode where it's like, Oh, we're, we got all these powers. Let's just punch just each other. Punch each other. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I think it would be nice if it was like a moment and it led to a thicker plot or storyline, but not like if they can just access it like pills, like if they do in the comic, I won't like that. So, Okay. Yeah, I love it. I suggest anyone who likes blood, the C word, and other <laughs> colloquialisms for yeah. women's uh, lady parts, um, uh, yeah. by Carl Urban. Go ahead, and also if you just love, also Carl Urban's butts in it too, which is pretty solid. For I'm, me, I guess. Yeah, I'm cool with it too. That's um, uh, great. Yeah, I'm 100% agree. I think it's fantastic. I love it. I like it better than Preacher. Preacher's good, but this is, I think, this is way better. Um, I, I think that... Seth Rogen, man, he's two for two with comic book shows. Yeah. That's all I got to say. Yeah, but I think this one's like a home run, whereas like Preacher felt like a nice double, like a good solid double. There's some... Pro- like pre- The biggest problem with Preacher, honestly, is that it it's a weekly release. I feel like if it loses momentum. Like if this, being able to binge yeah. it is so important when you have a... It's a serial, you know? Like it's like we're one episode leads into another and like i just hate that whole art you know old-fashioned artificial way of telling a story so yeah i read an article recently talking about that exact thing where it's like the amc revolution not only revolutionized but also destroyed amc because like amc came out with all these good shows your your breaking bads your walking deads your 
Mad Men, Mad Men yeah, yeah, all stuff where it's like high quality, you know, good actors, only eight or nine episodes a season, good shows, like almost movie quality TV shows. Mm-hmm. However, it is the same exact thing that is killing their channel because nobody watches their shows anymore because of that particular model of week to week because it kind of inspired Netflix to get good shows, Amazon to get good shows. You know, all these different outlets to do it. But now because they're kind of behind the times now, it's kind of like an Apple scenario where like they were inventors, but they're not innovators of their same product. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's like everyone's copying it, but doing it better because of that. AMC's kind of like dying because nobody watches their shows anymore because of the week to week type of thing. It's just not when you can't binge stuff, it kind of annoys people. And like, yeah. they're more like I want more of this right now. You know what I mean? So it's just such really an inconvenient distribution model. Like and when when we didn't have an option that was more convenient and respect, you know, respectful of people's time, then fine, we'll take it the way we can get it. But we we have seen the future and it is binge binging from, you know, whenever we want to get it. And it's just a better way to watch. I don't like organizing my life around when I need to be in front of a television. And so, yeah, it just needs to stop. It's so silly. And especially since you don't need to do it, like because most of most of those short run television shows, they do production on all of their episodes, those eight to 12 episodes or so at once. And they're done and they're just like slowly petering them out like other shows. Like a, a lot of times because the big name actors want to go do movies. Exactly. You know? that's, why, other that's why they're they able to do, do that. They're, they they record it for like two, three months and they're done. Yeah, it's like it's like filming a movie. They do yeah. it. They're done. That's why you get like in Fargo, you get these big name actors like Ted Danson. That's mm-hmm. a huge name. I love and they're Ted able Danson. to pull them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. All right. So let's close this down since we're getting a little off topic. The boys highly recommended by both of us. We love it. Even if you've not seen the, not read the comic, excuse me, definitely go watch this. Uh, It's got a little bit of violence, got some sex. uh, So it's not probably for children. Uh, But depending upon, you know, your level of acceptance of those things, I think you might enjoy this. So the boys, Amazon video, all eight episodes of season one available now and already has been renewed for season two. And now, it's time for the Gentleman's Challenge. The Gentleman's Challenge is a segment we do here on the Lollygaggers podcast where Justin and I like to give each other homework assignments. These homework assignments usually come in the form of watching a movie or a television show, maybe reading a comic or playing a game. And then to ensure that we actually completed our homework, we come back on the next episode and we quiz each other about it. We should warn you that everything we talk about within the Gentleman Challenge is going to be spoiler heavy. So if there's something we're talking about today that you don't want to be spoiled about, best to go experience it for yourself first and then come back and listen to what we have to say. So with that in mind, Justin, who's going first this week? You got it, buddy. Yeah, I think I should too. I just want to get this crap out of the way. So Justin assigned me Day of the Dead bloodline. Now, if I would have stopped that sentence sooner and just been day of the dead like the original romero film from the 80s everything would have been fine if i were to say day of the dead remake from 2008 things would not have been fine and if i were to say day of the dead bloodline things would most certainly not be fine because this is an awful movie um funny story justin i started watching this i I mentioned last week when you assigned it to me that i had seen it before that is partially correct. I had started watching this, and so when I went to go play it on Netflix, because it's available on Netflix, because sure, uh, I was already apparently 45 minutes into the movie, uh, and I had left it off, and I had given it a very firm thumbs-down rating. I'm uh, glad I could help you finish it, buddy. That's and, what I'm here for. And, well, you assume I did. Uh, and then like, Netflix is like, do you want to change your rating? I'm like, hell no, I don't want to change my rating. This thing's terrible. So... 
Anyway, it came out last year, 2018. Uh, it's directed by Hector Hernandez Vicens, uh, and it's written by Mark Tonderai and Lars Jacobson. Um, and it does build at least within the same universe slash characters of the George A. Romero stuff. So if you're a Romero fan, this is here. Now, the I think that there's only really like one maybe two recognizable actors in this, which makes sense considering how bad it was. Uh, but do you remember that thing you do with Tom Hanks and, uh, uh yeah. And Liv Tyler. So Jonathan sketch, I, I don't, I think that's how you pronounce his last name. I could be wrong. Sketch, Maybe. Um, he was the attractive, uh, guy in the band who was originally Liv Tyler's boyfriend. And then eventually they split cause she shacked up with the drummer. Do you remember that guy? Anywho, uh, he's in this and he plays um, a creep uh, in the very beginning named Max uh, and then later plays a very important zombie where if you've watched Day of the Dead, you know what zombie I'm talking about. There's also the main character, Sophie Skelton, or main the main character's name is Zoe, played by Sophie Skelton, who I believe is in the Outlander series uh, that's on what, Showtime or Stars, one of the two? Uh, never watched it. Uh, so here's the premise. Um, the movie starts off for reasons unknown, uh, with Zoe running through dark streets where with her shirt unbuttoned. So her bra is in, in, is right there for all the world to see. She's on the phone with her mom, telling her mom, her mom to go back inside and lock her doors. And we see all these zombies that have broken loose somehow and are starting to devour people. Uh, then we flash back to four hours ago. I still don't understand why we started where we did. Makes no sense. We started there. That first five minutes worth of the sh- worth of the movie. Didn't, You're never gonna believe how I got here. Didn't. <laughs> yeah, it's just like okay, I'm immediately going to tell you. Cool. So Sophie is a med student uh, of some kind that's working within um within a lab that's doing some some testing on some special bloods uh, and the blood that's coming from Max. Max has these unique uh, properties to his blood. And for some reason, despite the fact that Zoe has reported he's very creepy and he doesn't like how he he acts around her, uh, the doctor still says that she needs to go do it and take the blood from him, even though she has definitively reported that he's being creepy. Uh, and so she has to go do it. Not only has she has to do it, she has to do it alone. Uh, Max decides he wants to carve his uh, Zoe's name in his arm, blah, 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 and it gets really creepy and then eventually he runs away. So Sophie's, uh, excuse me, Zoe and her friends, they are having like an end of, I don't know, end of test party, whatever. They got like finals or some nonsense. And so they start drinking and whatever um, inside the lab, which is right down the hall from where the the morgue is. And so at one point during the party, Zoe goes over to the to the morgue because that's where they keep their kegs, I guess. And uh, while in there, She's attacked by Max because Max is back and he tries to rape her. Now, fortunately, uh, this is this is stopped. But unfortunately, it's stopped by a zombie because one of the bodies within the morgue uh, actually comes to life and starts devouring Max and turns Max into a zombie and thus begins the zombie apocalypse. Zoe runs away, tells her friends, hey, we need to run. No one listens to her. Then she climbs out a window after everyone dies and then we jump like five years into the future. Again, still don't understand why we needed the first five minutes of this movie, which just saw, saw her running around with her bra flapping around in the wind, talking to her mom on the telephone. Whatever. 
So five years later, she's in a uh, a mountain combine. It looked like the place from Stargate, uh, but I don't think it was Cheyenne Mountain. But it's basically the same type of thing. And she's working um, on a cure, I guess. Uh, and she so like this is a secure facility. It's part military and part uh, like refugee camp. And there's a little girl who um, can't remember her name. Lucy, maybe I'm not sure. Uh, Lily, Lily, who gives a crap? Um, they all they all got eaten. Uh, so right. I I assume. Um, I didn't watch the last forty five minutes. Uh, so the girl Lily uh, is uh, is sick. She's got some sort of illness and. They need new meds, and so Zoe tries to convince the military leader, um, I think it's Miguel, um, who is the brother of Baca, who's her boyfriend, that they should they should go back to the university where she um, was working in the very beginning of the show because she has the codes to get access to a restricted medical um, locker where they can get all sorts of antibiotics and vaccines that could not only help Lily, but just help the entire compound and possibly help with her research into the cure or vaccination for zombieism, right? So Miguel is suitably, no, I'm military man. No, boo, I'm angry. And, and then they talk some, and then eventually they say, okay. And so a small convoy gets put together and they go to town. Now, while in town, they get into the university setting without any real problems. Everything's going okay. They get into the locker. They get all the all the vaccines. They get all the antibiotics. And everything's great. Everything's going well. Then on the way out, Zoe's like, I'm not going to tell anybody that, that's walking in front of me. Because, you know, in a military operation, it makes sense to put the VIP doctor person at the very back. You don't want to put anyone behind her covering the rear because that makes a whole hell of a lot of sense. I'm not going to tell anybody that I'm going to sneak off into this other room without telling anybody. And they're just going to keep going just so I can get a couple pictures of my mom and my friends and a few other odds and ends like ammonia. Right. And so while in there, apparently Max has been waiting there for five years in zombie form and attacks her yet again. Um, she runs away. She starts firing her gun. And in doing so, it alerts all the other zombies in the area. And now we got a full on problem. Uh, another person, I want to say his name was Frank gets killed because she wanted pictures of her mom. Uh, and she never tells anyone about this. And then later on, she just cops up all sorts of attitudes whenever anyone suggests even minor remotely that it might've been her fault. And even though it really was her fault that Frank died, because again, she didn't tell anybody she was going in there. If she really wanted those things, she could have just said, Hey guys, one second, let me go in here really fast. But she didn't do that. She just did what she wanted. Uh, so then they travel back and they eventually get back there. Miguel's all mad because uh, because there's a dead person. She starts and not only that, but like Max sneaks into the compound by somehow sneaking out of the university with no one seeing him, crawls underneath one of their Humvees, hangs onto the Humvee for the entire like half day drive back to the military base. And he has made it into and past the very firmly secured wire link fences into this compound. And that's when he starts taking people out left and right. And eventually the problem is with this logic. I'm confused. It's so I just, Oh my God, this movie's so bad. Um, And eventually he's captured and they start doing some tests. And it turns out that he's got some special antibodies and he's also maintained some semblance of his memory and some semblance of his conscious thought. 
So he's still kind of a person. So his blood's so special. But the thing is, is like Zoe's like, I can probably create a cure from this, but I can only get a cure if I get some regular samples from other zombies. And then there's all like, no, we shouldn't do that. And then they're like, no, we should do that. And then they, they're like, all right, we're not going to tell Miguel, the leader of the, of the, the place, but we're just going to go do it ourselves. And while doing it themselves in a very horribly, horribly organized fashion that had some good, good ideas because they would let like one in, in through the gates, shoot him in the leg. So he falls down and then they put one of those like, like, uh, like dog catcher things around his neck just to make sure that they can get the sample. All that was really clever, but for some reason they didn't shoot through the gate because it's just a freaking wireling fence and they could just shoot through the fence and kill all but like that'll two. Def- it'll deflect the bullets, deflect the bullets. It, it probably will. I mean, it's a wireless. I think it's like titanium fence or something. It's pretty amazing because at no point did the zombies think that they could just Jeff, push the fence. you need to learn your fence. your fence etymology, my friend. I, think I just want to tell you that when I was like seven, we we would push we pushed a fence down. Like we were seven year olds, we pushed a fence down to break into the little league field and play, you know, and play little league on the field. Like we play we play baseball on the field. By breaking through the fence. I know I just admitted to a crime on air, but the point is, like, there are grown zombies and there's many more of them than there were us seven-year-olds who just wanted to go play baseball. So, yeah, none of it makes sense. Um, So while the testing is going on, um, many people come and taunt Max for reasons I don't know. Get nice and close to him, blah, blah, blah. At one point, he steals the keys off of Alphonse, who's actually my favorite character, played by Mark Rhino Smith, because he seems like a really nice guy and he's got really big biceps. Um, and as you might expect, stuff goes wrong. Um, the specific things that go wrong, I don't really know because I, I think I dozed off. Um, and then at a certain point, all hell breaks loose. You could uh, probably guess a few things. As the viewer right now, as the listener right now, and you probably would be correct as to what happens at the facility. So, yeah. So the facility goes, so a bunch of people die, uh, including uh, Miguel, who honestly, like, he's presented as being this, like, hard-ass villain. But honestly, I think he was really the only reasonable one in the whole movie. And Zoe's presented as the hero when, in fact, the whole reason uh, all these people are dying is because she kept lying to people and wouldn't tell it. Like, everything is literally her fault, but that's fine. And when I say everything, I mean, like, you know, Frank dying and like the other zombies sneaking underneath the, you know, Max, the zombie sneaking underneath the the car to chase them back. All that kind of stuff is like all because she couldn't simply say, hey, can we stop here for a minute? There's something else I want to get. That's it. That's all she had to say. And this movie doesn't happen, Um, which I really wish you would have said it. So then this movie wouldn't have happened. And then Justin wouldn't have been able to assign it to me. Uh, So in the end, um, most people... I mean, I guess most people actually live. Zoe lives. Baca lives. Baca becomes infected with a zombie virus. But because Zoe has discovered like a cure or a vaccination, I don't think they understand the movie, the difference between a cure and a vaccination. But that's just me. Uh, Baca is saved. um, And yeah, and that's it. And that's the end of the movie. Yay. So what I think of it, it's fucking garbage. Like, it's so bad. Like, I, man. Whoa, 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 Jeff. Yeah. This is not this is not my Batman glass. Okay, so I think it's isn't a it cup. Isn't it's not my Batman? Actually, right, it could be glass. I don't know. We have to double check that. So listen, I love zombie movies, even bad ones. And I watched this thinking that, oh, I would like this. It's just terrible. I said like an episode or two ago, it's hard for me sometimes to judge good acting. So there's not good writing, nor is there good acting in this movie. Like it's very clearly everyone all around is bad everything all around now some of the special effects are pretty cool like the people like when you're ripping out the you know intestines and stuff like that 
But some of them are also really bad because the amount of people who apparently have pneumatic blood that just bursts from their veins like like it's being fired from an air compressor uh, also looks really bad sometimes as well. I think Jonathan Shakes Max and the various facial things made him sometimes look cool, sometimes look like Heath Ledger's Joker, and sometimes look like I don't I don't know, like just a like a head with a big mouth. Like there is nothing redeeming about this movie. There is not a single good thing I can say about it. Um and I would say if you happen to do a podcast where you dislike the person that you're doing the podcast with and you want to hurt them um, for life and end that friendship that you might have with them, assign them this movie. Because I can't think of any other reason for this movie to exist or for reasons people should ever watch it. It is so bad. It is worse than yoga, ho- yoga hosers by far. Like there's, like I would rather sit through 25 minutes of yoga hosers because in my opinion, that's how long the movie lasted. Uh, then sit through an hour and a half of this freaking drivel. It's so bad. And uh, apologies to everyone involved. No points. And may God have mercy on your soul. It's terrible. I hate it. All right, so you ready? No. Go ahead. Let's do this. So, what sickness does Lily have that forces them to have to go to university for uh, meds? You you mentioned it, that she was sick and they had to go to university for meds. What was the sickness she had? That's a great question. Great question. Um I'm going to say she was sick to her stomach. Uh, she was nauseous because she was part of this movie. I don't know. Influenza? Jeffrey, it was actually the first question. The first thing you said, I cannot believe you got it correct. Uh, bacterial <laughs> pneumonia. Okay, bacterial, bacterial pneumonia. Oh, yeah, which is right. highly contagious, apparently. Yeah, I looked it up just to make sure they weren't full of crap, and it is contagious, I guess. I would hope that they could do at least a Google search. You think? And that's why I double-checked it. I was like... I, I still don't him. think I, they I was going to say, bonus points, Jeff. Yeah. Is this contagious? Yeah. It is. It is contagious. <laughs> I would... Uh, I, I think they don't understand the difference between a vaccine and a cure. But, like, at one point, they express... Like, Zoe expresses the difference. But then for the rest of the movie, I don't think they understand the difference. Like, I still don't understand how Baca got cured at the end. But whatever. Okay, what else again? All right, next question. Are these the most inefficient soldiers ever? Yeah. And if not, who? So here's, here's a few examples why. Um... A routine, uh, you know, snag and grab mission. Almost uh, one of them dies. Yeah, uh, like super easily. Nobody. Why was nobody following up in the back? Who who was taking the rear? Like what the frick, man? It's a very simple VIP mission. You got your VIP. It's the doctor. You put people in front of her. You put people behind her. You know what you don't do? You don't leave her in the back. Like it's just like, are you freaking kidding me? It's insane. It's so bad. And then like um, also getting uh, getting zombies from the fence. First so off, bad. one fence, one flimsy one chain fence. link fence. Yes, it's just a you know? chain link fence, which I've already <laughs> expressed my disgruntled nature. And to and, and like then then everything goes to crap. Not to mention, I guess none of them have peripheral vision. No. If there's a zombie to their right, they can't see them at all. No, so it's impossible. Are these the most inefficient soldiers? And if not, who would be? These are in fact the most inefficient soldiers. Um the only thing that would be more inefficient is if they somehow took your abilities as a first person shooter in like Rainbow Six or something, put you into this movie as one of the soldiers on the snag and grab mission. That's the only way it would be worse and more inefficient. That's my Jeffrey, answer. that is on the dot because <laughs> I don't know if you knew this. When this movie was being made, they contacted me for my shooting abilities and I had to actually go train them all. On how to shoot zombies. That's amazing. Um, first person perspective. That's so why I'll give they... you I'll give you a half bonus for that one too. I don't know how Excellent. you figured that out. Excellent. So all right, so next question. Yeah. How is it possible 
for the zombies to bite the next with, with such deadly accuracy, because I believe there was probably 35 necks bitten off yeah. in this movie. So what was the reason? How do they, how were they able to do that? Jeff? So what you, what you don't realize, um, and because of this happened, and this is because of the five year flash forward is that in addition to the zombie apocalypse, as everyone was escaping the zombie apocalypse, all of them, every single survivor like tripped, fell, separated their shoulder and tore the rotator cuffs to the point where they can't actually lift their arms up over their shoulder to the point where they might be able to very casually and simply push somebody away from your neck. And so every single survivor is faced with that terrible affliction. It's next on the to-do list after curing zombieism is to fix torn rotator cuffs, but none of them can lift their arms above their heads to actually prevent such things. So that's the reason that they're able to get in there because of poor defenses in torn rotator cuffs with all the human survivors. So to sum up, they're all a bunch of wobblies. They're all a bunch Um, of wobblies. So uh, what I'll say is that's a good answer. It is a good okay. answer. It's a good answer. It's a great How, answer. However, it's not the correct answer. Wow. Because the correct answer is they're all trained by Patrick Swayze from Roadhouse. That's why. Well, that um, doesn't really make sense. Because he it's well, it like he uses hands. Yeah, right? I know. That's why it doesn't but make sense. He grabs his. They his don't have hand. the hand speed, but they got the mouth. But I don't speed, think so. it makes sense. Also, Patrick Swayze died I'll, I'll give you a, a They couldn't. Have but he's him. a zombie. If Whoa, he's zombie careful. Swayze. Zombie Swayze. No, Patrick. And Patrick Swayze is not a zombie. He's an angel. So um, I'm going to take a point off your quiz for for besmirching so, the name of Patrick Swayze. So because of your uh, inventiveness, which I did like very much, um, I'll have to give you half, half a point, okay. even though it was off of the actual answer. Mm. All right, so you're sitting at two right now. Next question. Great voiceover acting or greatest the voiceover acting? The best voiceover acting I have ever heard. So how, how is it possible that the acting is so bad that they can't get it on set or in multiple takes when they're doing voiceover acting? What's pretty amazing is that the voiceover acting at no point, at no point does it feel like anybody was reading directly from a piece of paper. <laughs> at no point did it sound like that. It never sounded like that once. Uh, and so honestly, greatest voiceover acting ever, really, is what it was. Never felt like they got through a sentence and then paused a little too long as they shifted down to the next line where their next line was. So greatest is Jeffrey. That's absolutely correct. I don't know how he did it. It's also final question. So final question is Baca an idiot. Now here's why I asked this question. (laughs) Okay. First off, his name is Baca. I know he has nothing to do with that, but I got, I looked this up. His full name is actually Chewbacca. That's what I was wondering. Oh, oh. Um, for short. The biggest thing is um, at the end when he's fighting like the commander guy, neither of them noticed the zombie that's five feet from them that launches on them. And also at the end, he's going to kill himself, even though she says she has a cure. He's like, I don't want to become one of those things. So here's the thing, Jeffrey. Right. If I told you I had the cure for something, right, and um, you had a gun to your head, and I said, Jeff, I have this cure, all right, and it may or may not work, right? Okay. And you said, I'm going to blow my brains out because I don't want to become one of those things. But I'm like, but this could work. Um, would it be smart of you to still say, nah, let's still blow my brains out? So with that evidence, is Baca an idiot? So, yes, Baca is an idiot. But in his defense, Zoe did cause the destruction of this entire compound. 
all because she so, yeah, simply he would have to be stuck with her for the rest exactly. Of the right. So like I can see his argument is what I'm saying. Like Zoe, bad stuff happened like, to Zoe. No, in the past. I really want to kill myself right now. I think I, really want to do that. I kind of feel like is like I don't. I don't want to be with you anymore. And this was his way. You ever been in a bad relationship that you want to get out of and you don't know how Jeff, to do I've it? only been in one. So I, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so you kind of have to find some other melodramatic way to get out of it. That was his. So I was reading about that scene too. Apparently it's a BB gun that he holds to his head. And then he's when he's. <laughs> oh my God. I didn't want him to, uh, oh Bruce Lee's son his way out of that. I've been very sad. Wow. It was, uh, yeah. So anyway, that's my answer. All right, so you're correct. So uh, tallying all the scores, you got two, uh, three, four, four to five, four to five. Go, go, so go. There you go. That's pretty. That's way better than I thought I was going to do. Nice. All right, Justin. So now that we got that that awful thing out of the way, let's get to a good movie. Uh, what were you uh, tasked with uh, with doing this time? So you assigned me um, in memoriam. Mm-hmm. To Rutger Hauer. Yeah, I love that. A guy. 1992 film starring Rutger Hauer and Kim Cattrall, mm-hmm. um, uh, known as Split Second. Yeah, that's correct. Okay? It also stars uh, Pete uh, Postlewaite. Yeah, I'm sure. I think that's right. Um, he played the the big game hunter in the Lost World. That's the second Jurassic Park movie. Um, he's been in a lot of other stuff too, but that's what I mostly remember him for. Well, most notably, I always remember him as uh, Kaiser Soze's assistant from that too. Yeah, Kaiser Soze. Yeah, well, yeah. Kevin's base is really not a person we should bring up. So yeah. And then Alan Armstrong, who I had the longest time trying to figure out where I've seen this guy before, and Jeffrey, he is a uh, uh, alum of the podcast, if you will. He stars in Kroll. Yes, he does. Cool. You know what else he stars in? And I was actually just watching this while we were, I was eating breakfast with my wife. He also was in Braveheart. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Mornay and Lockley. More notably, yeah. more notably Kroll. Kroll. Obviously. Listen, I know I know you've got issues with Kroll, but Kroll is one of the most amazing movies ever. Like, it's just got a little bit of everything. It's freaking crazy. Like, it's just like, it's a fantasy movie. No, it's a sci-fi a movie. Star it's thing. both. Yeah, it's great. I love it. It's wonderful. But yeah. All yeah, right, so yeah. this is... Uh... Directed by Tony Malum, and I try looking at his uh, like his uh, backlog. The thing he's most notably known for recently is he did like eight car documentaries. So I don't know why this is a weird shift, but uh, yeah. Anyways, this is uh, made in 1992. It takes place in 2008. Global warming has caused most of the city to submerge underwater. They're in London, so the River Thames is overflowing into uh, most of London. Rutgers a cop after a serial killer that killed his partner, and he takes the 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 serial killer takes the hearts and eats them of the people that he kills. Okay, um, he in the beginning of the movie he's kind of like uh, weird, has these cool circular sunglasses, wears a sweet duster, tall boots with lots of buckles, um, all black of course because he's he's pretty badass. Right, he ends up going to the precinct and uh, people don't like him, and then the the captain does the whole marriage of my ass, blah, 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 thing to me. Like, you're, you're, you're about, because he, he goes to a nightclub and like shoots up the place. And he's like, you're, you're a loose cannon. I can't control you, but damn, you're a fine, good cap. One of those types of moments. Um, so he, um, yells at him to kind of get under control. Um, gives him his badge and gun back. He asks him why he's got this giant hand cannon. Because he's been chasing this serial killer, and he thinks the serial killer is a little bit more than what people think he is. He thinks he's you know, not just a guy. He's just some type of freak or some sort. 
sort. Um, Rucker Howard is a bit of a nut job. Um, he punches everyone in the department that he can, and how he hasn't been reported to HR at some point, I don't know how. Um, why no one's taking it upon them Justin, to say, it's, hey. it's 2008, man. You could get away with some shit in 2008. I guess so. I guess there's no HR department where it's like, this guy has been assaulting me for weeks. <laughs> like, not one person. Yeah. Um, so uh, he gets a new straight-laced partner by the name of Dick Durkin. He's Dick this, Durkin. Uh, Detective Dick Durkin. <laughs> My name's Dick. Dick Durkin it's, Durkin. He's such so, a good character. It's makes it's, me laugh every time. Oh, uh, he just goes up to people. It's like Detective Dick Durkin. Detective Dick Durkin just flashes bad. And who would have thought Rucker Hauer also abuses him a whole bunch too? Um, yeah, but that's more like hazing. Him. It's more like hazing, right? Is it because um, hazing is not looked on well in the HR department? In two thousand eight, um, in London, it it was. It's, yeah, it's no, different. It's totally it's, cool. It's totally cool. The far distant future of two thousand eight. Yeah. So at some point, you know, they kind of get to know the character. That he's kind of a, a wiry weirdo. He eats too many chocolates. He also feeds chocolate to a dog. Um, I don't right. know if anyone picked that up. No, he's a sociopath. He's trying to kill dogs. Awful person. I don't like it. Um, he meets Kim Cattrall in a, a mausoleum where his partner was buried. Um, they all... They start hunting down the guy that's doing all these murders. There's some connected to him being a Scorpio because there's a lot of astrological signs. He paints stuff on the ceiling. Um, It's weird. He always tears out their hearts and he bites one and sends it to the department to kind of like say, hey, I'm back and all that stuff. Um, Kim Cattrall comes back to Rutgers Hire's apartment just because you had to see her naked for some reason. I'm sorry that they did this to you, Kim Cattrall. I'm, yeah. I don't know why. That it's totally that unnecessary. This is another one. Um, the super naked for no reason. Right. Um, the monster comes, kills someone downstairs to distract Rucker Hauer, and also then bites Kim Cattrall. What's weird is like when attacks happen, it looks like it's happening simultaneously, but like the time and place where people are doesn't really add up. Right. It's really strange. Um. Anyways, at some point, the thing uh, steals Kim Cattrall, takes her into the sewers, all right? Um, and when you go into the sewers, you find out there's lots of stuff like related to rats in this movie, which is very strange. Also, I'm pretty sure they did murder a lot of rats for this movie. Like, they killed... It didn't look like prosthetics. It yeah. like they just killed If a you bunch actually of rats. read the credits, you know how there's always that, like, no animals were harmed in the shooting of this film? It actually has an addendum. It says, no animals parentheses except for shitty rats close parentheses were harmed in the because they look like real dead rats and like their heads were exploded and stuff yeah anyways they go down to the sewers and see all these rats and they find the kim cattrall they pull her off this thing and it turns out like this thing's like a demon of some sort it almost thinks that it's the devil of some type and the prosthetics for the creature actually look pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty solid. Um, it looks sort of like uh, a cross. It looks a little xenomorphy, like in a way. It's got a little of that going on. Yeah, but on. it's got like this, this like almost like a thing across its eyes. Yeah. Which I thought I thought it looked really cool. Yeah. The only thing I thought looked bad was there's a moment when they get Kim Cattrall off the thing and they're on top of this train car. And there's this claw hand coming and scraping the top of the train car like its claws are going through. And you literally see like a motorized <laughs> hand, <laughs> like on a track, just following them slowly Justin, down. Like, it was that's the only thing. It was two thousand eight. Okay, all right. We don't we don't have everything yet. Avatar hadn't come out. Wait right? a minute. I guess. Yeah. Wait, hold on. Wait. I don't know that if tracks. that's. 
Anyways, um, but that's like the only special effects that I thought was stupid. Like the yeah. rest of the movie, like the special effects were good for a low budget I, 1992 yeah. film. Pretty solid, honestly, in terms of special effects. They pulled a Jaws thing too, where like they barely showed exactly, you. and that's the way to do it. It's so smart, right? Like that's the way to build tension, and then you 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 don't like. I have an idea yeah. what it looks like, but yeah. I really don't know. And it's always interesting because um, with Jaws, like they wanted to show him a bunch more, but they kept having mis- you know the mechanical problems with the jo- with the show. And it ended up working. Well it's a blessing in disguise. Yeah, yeah, and it, yeah. It was so smart, I think. So anyways, it ends up being this big fight in the sewers, and somehow Rucker Howard punches in his chest and tears his own heart out, like of the of the demon character. I don't know how. Because he's Rucker freaking Howard. Like it's I really, guess so. I guess yeah. he's super strong. But it's almost like the guy's body was made out of tissue paper, and he just kind of like punched through it. And anyways, um, yeah. he kills him, and he, he uh, shoots his heart. Um, and I think he says, here's looking at you, kid. And he shoots the heart. I'm pretty sure that's what he says. Um, <laughs> and then, like, they leave the sewers and they're leaving on a boat. And then all of a sudden, go back to the sewers and they see bubbles coming up from the, from the, yeah. underneath the water. So is it dead? No, it's bam, not. bam, bam. Yeah, because yeah. the, the, the sequel is called Split Third. It came out in 1996. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is there a prequel called Split, Split First? First, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, All right. So, did you like it overall? Like, pretty? Is it solid? Right? It was. It was a solid movie. It was interesting. Um, Rutger Howard is a psychopath in this film. He's a psychopath um, in every film. That's what's wonderful about Rutger it's Howard. So it's so weird. Like, why is he still? They say, "Oh, he's the best." <laughs> he should it's not. He's have the a best job. at what? He should not like, have a job, and he probably should be in jail. Like, let's be honest. Like, yeah. He's, yeah. Like. He's the best yeah. at tracking this one guy who's been at large for 10 years. Yeah. But if he's the best and he hasn't caught him, like, what? Yeah. Um. So, like, he should be arrested and or not have a job. It's really – that's perplexing to me. And, like, the amount of abuse he has to everyone in the department. These guys are hardworking, you know, blue-collar workers. They're out there trying to do their job. And this psychopath comes walking in there – their office and starts smacking people around for no reason. I like What's how, his problem? I like how Detective Dick, is, Mr. I've been to Oxford, is a blue collar, hardworking blue collar worker. It's pretty funny. No, like I'm talking about everyone like in the bullpen. No, like, I he's hear like you. so mean to everybody, including I mean, Kaiser Sose's assistant, who he's very yeah. abusive towards. Oh my gosh. Sure, be mean to the guy with the silver spoon up his butt. I get that. Fine. He deserves it. I hate the 1% just as much as everybody. You know what I mean? But. This poor guys, they're just like doing paperwork for routine like pullovers in the water. And like he's just smacking everybody up. This guy's psycho. Um the effects are good. Like I said, except for the one particular thing with the claw. I thought everything actually looked really good. The bloody scenes were very bloody. Um I liked a lot of the explosions and stuff. Like he's got this one gun that's like a mega magnum. It's like a magnum of four fifty five. Mm-hmm. So it's like a Magnum 45 plus five more. <laughs> so that's basically what it is. Um, and I thought a lot of that stuff was good. Um, I thought the set pieces were really good. There's that one scene where they're going through the morgue and with all the draperies. I thought that looked really cool. And there's a lot of really good stuff in this film. It just, in the end, is lacking because it doesn't make much sense. It's just a futuristic cop chasing the devil movie starring Rutger Howard. And so if I said that sentence to you, you'd be like, okay, I know what that is. Yeah. Um yeah. It delivers so my, if it, it delivers on its premise as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. My only problem with the movie, if I were to, if I'm if I'm really being a nitpicker here, I'm really being a nitpicker, is that he should be institutionalized. That's about it. 
Yeah. Um, other than that, flawless film. Cool. Uh, I thought it was entertaining and fun. And honestly, I really did like the prosthetics of the alien. Pretty solid. Devil creature thing. Yeah. It's just, um, obviously, I bet you if they did pull out and show you the whole thing, it probably looked awful. Well, I think but, you can say that with most, you know, with most practical monster effects like that. Like, like a lot of them are built in such a way that they can be controlled or if it's puppeteered, you have to have some sort of entry point for controlling it. But, but yeah, I enjoyed it. I was, I didn't like, I didn't turn off like you did, um, for David bloodlines now, but I uh, watched the whole damn thing, but, uh, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was a decent film. All right. You ready for your quiz? I've never been more ready. Okay. Well, we'll find out. Wow. Okay. Let's see. Uh, so question number one, how does detective stone make his way past guard dogs? Um, he feeds them chocolate and to kill them slowly. That's the incorrect answer. He shows him his police ID and <laughs> call, yeah. calls them dickheads. That's, <laughs> that's what he that's, does. Is that not how I deal with dogs, Jeffrey? I'm confused. His first five minutes of the movie, man, it's like that's how you know it's going to be great. This guard dog barks at him. He takes out his police ID, flops it on the dog's nose, and it says, police, dickhead. <laughs> The dog's okay with it. He's like, oh, okay, cool. You're good. You can go. Immediately subdued. He's oh, good. man, it's so good. Oh, it makes me laugh. Uh, okay, question number two. I have so many questions, so um, but I'm going to pick the ones that I think are coolest. Uh, question number two. How many and what kind of weapons does Detective Stone carry? Um, He has a gun on his ankle. He has the massive like Magnum 445 or 455 or something like that. He has a shotgun. It was like an automatic shotgun, right? A handgun. And he wanted to hold a grenade launcher, but he couldn't get the permit. Okay. Excellent. Uh, I'm not going to give you full credit, but you can get most credit. Cause you got that. Cause you got the follow-up question. The follow-up question was why he doesn't have a grenade launcher. You got that right. Uh, you got the shotgun. I'll give you this, the shotgun one, but you didn't get everything else right. Uh, you, the, he's got four weapons. He's got a hand cannon. He's got an MP15. He's got a Glock 50. Oh, yeah, MP15. And he's got an A3 assault shotgun. And as a person who plays so many FPSs, I kind of wanted you to have the exact models. So I'm only going to give you I'm going to give you half credit for that, but I'm going to give you uh, you know, a little bonus for getting the, the great launcher parts. So he, he also holds a grenade in his refrigerator at home. Yeah. I don't know if you saw that. Um, which so, is interesting. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to make that a two point question. I'm going to give you one of the two points. I think you did a, a pretty, a pretty right, admirable right, job. Right. Okay. You've already mentioned that the brave, uh, the brave heart alum, the crawl alum and how he is uh detective stones, immediate superior. Um, how would you describe detective stones relationship with his immediate superior in the police squad? How I describe his relationship. How would you describe the relationship that he has, that Stone has with his immediate superior? Um, so there's a correct answer to this, all right? There's a correct answer. So think. Carefully. I don't know. Um, I can't remember. I'll have to mulligan on this one. I don't okay. Know. The correct answer is intensely sexual. That's that's the correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't get that at all. I wow. Um, yeah, I just I just wanted the two of them to do it and get it over with. There's I guess, so I guess much it's part of the undertones of the film I wasn't able to pick up on. So much raw, right. raw sexual tension between them, that which accounts for why will they so won't angry. they? I don't yeah. know. It's very much it was very much like a Mulder Scully thing going on there. I thought. 
All right, next question, number four. Um, so what are 80% of accidents caused by? Detective 80%. Dick Durkin or Dick Stone, whatever the hell his name was. Oh, oh, 80% of accidents are caused by... I don't remember the exact wording, but it was about... Uh, was it like obscured vision? Something like that? Because uh, oh, yeah. he was wiping off he was okay. wiping off the headlight, and he was he was talking about that. And then I will give you credit. Okay. I will give you credit. Gregor puts another chocolate on it because he does. The, the man must be like eighty percent nougat at some yes. point. So uh, the 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 actual phrasing was poor visibility, but I'll still give you credit for it. So follow up. All right, all right, all right. Follow up. What are the other twenty percent of accidents caused by? Rucker Howard's uh, insanity and uh, abuse of other people. That's what the other twenty percent are. Uh, no, see, that's no. Nope, you're not getting that one. You, you insulted Rutger Howard. From what from don't, what I see in the movie, this thing's pretty true. Don't insult Rutger Howard. It's like the simplest thing. You just can't do that. So I'll give you half credit because you got the first part. Uh, and then um, let's see. Do I want this to be the last one? Yeah, this, this will be the, the last one. The more impressive thing about Rucker Howard is how was he able to be a crazy cop and then at some point become a multi-billionaire uh, capitalist that works for Wayne Tech? I don't know how he was able to go from one to the other yeah. in such a short amount of time. Was it, that's 2008. Batman Begins is what, like 2009-ish maybe? Yeah. So I don't know how he was able to do it. It's crazy. I he must have really worked hard. He really did. He really went. He probably was. He probably the, his new partner was a good influence. Went back to school, got a degree. Everything was great. Um, okay. Final. And then, and then who served Wayne Tech? That's crazy. Yeah, exactly. Final question. Who the fuck does Stone think he is? <laughs> Which was asked, uh, I think, three times in this movie, by the way. I think he thinks he's the best there is for the job, even though the job hasn't been completed for 10 years. So that's that's what he is. He's the best damn cap we get. Hey, stay off his back. He's a good cap. There you go. That's how there the guy go. is. I will give you credit for that. Uh, so it's a pretty good showing by you. So taking a look at this again, you didn't get the do- the, do- the guard dogs. You did get one point from the weapons, and you got uh, half a point from the accidents, and you got the last one. So that's two and a half points for you, sir. Uh, very good showing by you. Uh, and that is it for this week's Gentleman's Challenge. Now, new challenges. Justin and I are shaking things up a bit. We've been talking about doing something a little bit different uh, with the challenges. We really like doing the challenges. That's sort of been our our focus uh, of the, the podcast recently. We like kind of driving each other crazy, and we think we can get funny conversations from them. So, but we're going to do things a little differently. We want... Um, we want to ha- add some randomness to this. And so we have like this little wheel sheet program that we're going to be using. So what Justin and I have done, we have brainstormed a list of like a hundred, like literally a hundred plus topics uh, that that might come up in movies or television shows or something like that. And then we're narrowing it down to time periods. So we have things like ninjas, pirates, animation, zombies, monsters, slashers, uh, Janine Garofalo. Like we, we've got all sorts of these different topics and between that, I really tried to push it to a hundred. Like yeah, the night that we're over a hundred, man. Like, I'm pushing it. Oh, good. I added a bunch at the end. Uh, so like we're at one oh seven. Uh, I put to, so so you put Rat Pack. I don't know if Rat Pack's gonna work because that was like a sixties thing, and then we're only focusing on nineteen seventies and Ford. But I did put Tom Selleck, mustaches, Casper Van Dien. Uh, so I added those and that mustaches. <laughs> is good. That's good. I think mustaches is great. Uh, so what we're going to do is uh, at the end of every episode, we're gonna we're gonna hit the we're gonna roll this wheel. We're gonna spin this wheel, and what it's going to do is going to produce one of these these basic topics, and then it's going to produce a time period, and it's going to be a decade. It's the seventies, the eighties, the nineties, the two thousands, or the twenty tens. 
And so then between that combo, so let's say a hypothetical combo could be ninjas 1990s. So then it's up to Justin and I then to come up with something about ninjas from the 1990s that challenge the other person with. And then we're going to come back in the next episode and we're going to talk about what those challenges might have been. So we're going to do this a little bit differently. Uh, and so what I think we, we want to do is we want to make the rolling as a thing that we put on the actual episode so you can hear our you know, reactions. And But we won't you guys won't know specifically what the challenges are, like what Justin and I end up challenging each other with until the next episode. But you'll know the basic topic. So, Justin, are you ready for our first roll of, uh, of, the, of the wheel? I'm pretty excited right now. I want to know what happens. Okay. So let's go. All right. So, first roll ever of the new process. Here it goes. I just clicked it. It's thinking. It's working. Not very quickly. It still <laughs> says working. It's great radio. Okay. 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 Here we go. The uh, so we have so each time we're going to have three choices come up and then we can kind of talk about which ones we're going to want to use. Maybe it's possible one of them doesn't work because occasionally some of the combinations don't work out. But the first choice, Justin, is animation, anime style from the 2010s. The second choice is John Candy from the 70s. And the third choice are is historical epics from the 70s. So we want to go with. I say anime 2010s. That's, okay. that's my vote. Surprising. I'm going to go ahead and consult with Long Lee and Josh and get some good <laughs> some good answers for this. But yes. <laughs> so animation, anime, anime style from the 2010s will be next, next episode. Uh, and you'll see what Justin and I came up with, what we challenged each other with. And you'll hear a little bit more. And we're going to go into a little bit more depth, I think, with some of our... It's not just going to be reviews and plot summaries. We might give you some little you know tidbits and trivia here and there, some, some basic background as we start to double down on this whole gentleman's challenge thing and make this more of the centerpiece for uh, our podcast. All right, Justin. So let's go ahead and close this episode down. Uh, if you like what you hear, uh, if you uh, if you enjoy what we do, if you wouldn't mind going up on your Apple podcast, your Google podcast, or whatever other service you're using to, to listen to us, maybe give us a like or subscribe, a little review, whatever your service allows, uh, we would be ever so grateful uh, if you want to get in touch with us online, if you have an idea for maybe some topics we can add to our long list of, of potential gentlemen's challenges, you can catch me on Twitter at Co. Justin's at buys Justin. Uh, Justin's going to be starting twitching again soon, or is going to start twitching again, streaming soon. Uh, that's twitch.tv slash Jehufa. So if you're interested in a League of Legends new TFT mode or Magic the Gathering or, uh, or some World of Warcraft, go ahead and catch out his stream. Uh, and Justin... I got one final question for you and it refers back it refers back to to that wonderful split second movie with Rutger Hauer the timeless Rutger Hauer so at one point in the movie when Kim Cattrall is at his at his apartment she goes over to his refrigerator and there is a uh, a heart made of little chocolate candies stuck to the outside of the refrigerator so Justin, when we were watching this, when we were watching this, my wife goes, my wife goes, please don't eat it. Please don't eat it. Please don't eat it. Please don't <laughs> so, eat it. So my question to you is, would you eat chocolate candies that's left stuck to a dirty fridge in the shape of a heart in a disgusting, dirty apartment? Jeffrey, I hate to tell you this, but that is exclusively the only way that I eat my uh, Reese's peanut butter cups is I take them off the wrappers and smack them on my dirty refrigerator in the shape of a heart or dicks one of the two oh, i'm okay with both okay but uh okay. i like i like to get artsy with my chocolates so yes i absolutely would i learned something today